we've been looking at, at Jesus. And we want to look at Jesus not as a historical figure. We've been looking at Jesus, and, and we don't want to look at Jesus as somebody that we just look up to. We've been looking at Jesus, and we've been trying to see him as you would see anybody here, to your left or to your right. And we want to see him in such a way that we feel and we know that he is real, and that his presence is not only our comfort, but he is also our hope. And that he knows everything about us. He literally knows everything about us. And we can know about him as well. When Jesus came in the flesh, it was like God saying, I'm not going to hide from you. When Jesus came here, like you and me as a human being, it was like God saying, I want you to honestly know who I am. Well, for us to be able to really know Jesus in like manner, we have to be willing to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, this is what I know about myself. And I, I'm honest with you. I, I don't want to hide myself from you. And for that, there are two things that, that are going to happen. One, of course, is that we will be honest with God. But the other is that we will be honest with each other. We'll be honest with each other. But for those two things to happen, we have to begin by being honest with ourselves. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you as, as we pray just to open up your heart to be honest to God and to let him show you a little bit more of himself, but also let him show you a little bit more about you too. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue through this wonderful series through your book of Mark. We've been so impressed by who Jesus is as perfect man and, and perfect God. And Lord, we are so far from perfect and we need you so much. And so Father, we pray that even now you would help us to to see you a little bit more and to, to experience you a little bit better and to know you and to know ourselves and to be willing to let others know us as well. So Lord, help us to be honest with you and help us to see the meaning of that to our lives, the joy, the promise, the hope, the peace that will come from it. Lord, thank you. And I pray your peace for all who are here today. I pray your hope for us. I pray your joy for us as well. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. One time, I've had to sit on the witness stand. Just one time in my life. 
I was called as a character witness for a young man who I didn't know. I barely knew his parents, but this young man had gotten in big, big trouble with the district attorney. And so I was called as a character witness for him because I was the pastor of the church that he was supposed to attend. Okay, he didn't attend very much. Uh, but the parents were hoping that my presence would um, spare him um, to be able to be out on parole instead of being in jail. And so I was called to go down to the district attorney office in Ventura County. And um, I was waiting, and I was nervous. I was just nervous, right? And then I had to go up on the stand, and, and then, you know, you do what you imagine. You raise your hand, and you say, do you swear to so truth, the whole truth, nothing but truth, so I'll be God. And yeah, I do, you know? Uh, and I was so scared. And I remember being terrified, and I was thinking, what do I have to be afraid of? You know, it's not about me, right? And yet, just being in that situation, I was so nervous. There's something about being on the witness stand that makes us want and need to be really honest and to be so afraid that if we're not, something bad will happen to us. And even in this case, it wasn't about me. But I want you to imagine now that you are called to be a witness. You are called to be a character witness of a person that's very important. And you are being called to sit on that witness stand, to put your hand on the Bible, and to promise before God and man that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and God will help you. So help you, God. And the person that you are the character witness to is you. Okay. You're going to bear witness about yourself. Well, today we're going to look at some verses that are going to help us to ask some questions and then to honestly seek to answer them out of our hearts. And I want you to... Think of yourself now on this witness stand. There's going to be three big questions today, three open-ended questions, and then there's going to be seven yes and no questions that you're going to answer. So a total of ten. And so the first question is this: Just think to yourself, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? When you look at Jesus, what do you see? Think about that for just a moment. And now if you look at your verses for today, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, we're going to begin with verses 17 through 21. So if you can open up your Bible or you can look on the outline, and there are a few Bibles um, on the inside aisle here, and the people can just look under their seat and pass it to the outside if anybody needs it. But we're looking at Mark chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament, Verse 17, and I'll read. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Well, there's two important things that we're going to see out of this first portion of this passage today. And before we do that, though, I want you to answer two other questions. Okay, and you have them there on your outline. And so I want you to answer them honestly. And you can circle one of the numbers there. If your answer is definitely no, it's a one. If your answer is definitely a yes, it's a 10. And if it's somewhere between, you can guess and put it there. But the first question is this. Do you believe if people are more good than bad, they will go to heaven? Okay, just honestly answer that question. Do you believe that if people are more good than bad, they will go to heaven? No? One? Yes. Ten? Somewhere in between. Second question. Do you believe that when Jesus looks at you, he really loves you? Do you believe that when Jesus looks at you, he really loves you? And the key word there is really. Okay? Now he really, and you might even say he really likes you. Okay? No? One? Yes, ten. Well, the answer to those two questions is found in these verses, verses 17 through 21. And we have a man there who serves as our first character witness, and he is a young man, maybe like one of these guys over here, all right? He's young, he's handsome, he's rich. Now, that's probably not any of you either, right? Though, but you're, you're, you can be young and handsome, but you're not rich. And he's also a ruler, all right? So if you were to look at a parallel passage, it would be Luke 18. And that's a parallel passage to the Mark passage. But if we put those three things together, we see that this is a man who runs to Jesus and the qualities that the Bible says that he has, the attributes about him is that he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler, right? In essence, he's got it all. He's got everything we want in this world. He's rich. He's powerful, and he's youthful. He's got it. Well, maybe not everything. And that's why he runs to Jesus. And he runs to Jesus. And and in those days, dignified people don't run. And yet here he's a ruler. And so he's running through the streets, and the Bible tells Jesus is about to leave. And so this guy's running, maybe trying to catch up to Jesus, and he runs to Jesus, and he just falls at his feet. Again, not particularly a dignified move, but a humble move and a sincere action. And he falls before Jesus, and he tells Jesus, in essence, through a question, there's something that I don't have, even though I'm young, even though I'm rich, And even though I rule over people, and that is that I know that someday, though I'm young, I'm going to get old and I'm going to die. And so, Jesus, this is what I need to know. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And therein in question, we find the problem. See, this young man thinks he has to do something to gain eternal life. And in reality, 
that is the default that we all believe. We all believe that there's something we have to do to gain eternal life. And that's part of the sin problem. We were separated from God. And we think there's something that we have to do that can fix that. But there in reality is nothing we can do to fix the sin problem. There's nothing we can do unless we could be perfect to stand before a perfect God. There's nothing we can do to be able to go up on the witness stand and say, you know, this is what I've done, God. Now I get to go to heaven, right? And so the answer to this first question is nobody, nobody goes to heaven because they are more good than bad. It just doesn't work that way. We cannot earn our way to heaven. So many of us were born with this default. And again, I think it's pretty much all of us. You know, we see God as, as sort of a divine auditor. And what he's doing is he's adding and subtracting all the good and the bad in our lives. And if there's more good than bad, no, we made it to heaven. But the promise is that if we're really honest with ourselves, there's more bad than good. And the only good is in Jesus. And he continues to make us good. And he continues to want us to seek him and to be transformed so that our hearts would be his. And so Jesus comes up to this man and he tells him the ten, six of the Ten Commandments or five of the Ten Commandments, depending upon how you interpret this passage. But he says to this young man, when he says, you know, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And Jesus quotes these, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the young man goes, been there, done that. Check, 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 got them all. Now, I kind of wonder if, if he really got them all. But, but Jesus doesn't call him on that. The Bible says that Jesus just looks at him and loves him. And loves him. And I want us to think about that, that this is indeed how Jesus sees you and me in our honest state. He really loves you. He really loves you. He went up to this man who was calling out to him for eternal life. This young man did not yet have eternal life. And Jesus already loved him. How much more will Jesus love those who do respond to this invitation? And he wants everyone to know that it's not good enough just to be good but that there is a God who is good. Jesus is always pointing to his Father. Jesus is always saying, I want you to see my Abba. I want you to know he is good. And in this case, this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to look not just at me, but I want you to look at God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34 and 35, the Bible says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. The next verse is Psalm 25, verse 7 and 8. Would you read that out loud with me? 
Let's begin. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Love for sinners. Forgiveness for our sins. Because God is good. A Savior. Save us, O God, our Savior. We read in 1 Chronicles, God is good. And he loves us. Though we are not good enough, God is good. And God will save us. And when he looks at us, he loves us. But he wants us to know that keeping the Ten Commandments actually is impossible. And that that would not be our salvation. Keeping the law would not save anyone. The law was there to show us that we need God. Now the law is good. The law shows us what is right. But we can't keep the law. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says, no, that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. No one. And so the answer again to our questions is, do you believe if people are more good than bad, they will go to heaven? Our answer should be a resounding no. But to the second question, do you believe that when Jesus looks at you, he really loves you? The answer should be an impeccable 10. That Jesus loves us. And when Jesus looks at you straight in the eye, he honestly loves you. So when you look at Jesus, what do you see? The second question, the open-ended question we might look at, is when you look into your own heart, is there something missing? When you look into your heart, is there something missing? Would you read with me verses 21b? Okay, 21b through verse 27. And it's there in your outline, or you can read it from your Bibles just whatever version you have, and it begins with one thing you lack. Let's read it together. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus is going to speak to our hearts here as he speaks to the hearts of this man and as he speaks to the hearts of his disciples who are watching. And he's going to talk about God and his kingdom. And he's going to talk about how we live for that kingdom. And so there's two other questions here 
that are on your outline and you can answer them yes or no. And the first one is this. If we, so now we, we're the, we are in the, the, the judge's um, chambers, okay? There's a judge and, and there's a jury and there's a person on the witness stand and, and we're in the audience, okay? And we are the congregation. We're the audience and we're all watching you, right? And so here's your question. If we watched how you lived every day, we would tell you are living for the kingdom of God. Okay? Answer that honestly, yes or no. So if we all here, okay, big brothers and big sisters could all see each other, and we watched how you lived every day, we would be able to tell that you are living for God's kingdom. And that goes whether you're a student or a grandparent, wherever you work, wherever you live. And the second question is this. If we saw how you give to others in need, we would see your love for Jesus. If we saw how you give to others in need, we would see your love for Jesus. Jesus looked straight into this man's eyes and saw right into his heart. I believe that this man was sincere when he came to Jesus. And Jesus saw that this man had a problem. And so he said to this young man, there's one thing you lack. And he says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus saw right away, and Jesus brought up the Ten Commandments, but he didn't mention the first four. The first four are all about God. You will have no other gods before me, is the first one. And Jesus in Mark himself had summarized the Ten Commandments. In Mark chapter 12, we'll look at it in a, a week or two. He says, the most important one, the most important commandment, says Jesus, is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus knew he loved this man. And this was what he wanted back from him, was a response of love. But he knew that there was something keeping him from that because the most important commandment to not have any other gods before him was something this young man had been violating by loving his wealth. He loved what he had more than he loved Jesus. And so Jesus wanted to help him. And Jesus wanted to remove the obstacle that was in his life. And so he said to him, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you're going to have treasures immeasurable in heaven. And then come and follow me. Jesus is trying to help him by calling him to follow him. And this is a lesson for you and I as well. Now, we don't have to sell all of our possessions. Actually, maybe the youth group would like that. You could sell all your possessions and bring them to the uh, garage sale next week, and then they'll have plenty of money for the rest of, of their youth group's existence. But Jesus doesn't say that to us. This is specific to their needs. Now, in other cases, 
In other cases, Jesus still said the same thing. Right? Earlier on in Mark, Mark chapter 1, we saw that Simon was called to follow Jesus and leave everything, and he did. We saw that Simon found his brother Andrew, and he too was called to leave everything and follow Jesus, and Andrew did. And James and John, likewise, in Mark chapter 1, were called by Jesus to leave his father and leave their home and leave everything they had, and they did. And earlier on in Mark chapter 8, we saw that Jesus says to all of us, if anyone would want to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, which is pretty synonymous to giving up everything and following Jesus. But now, literally, we don't have to sell everything to follow Jesus. But metaphorically and spiritually and reality-wise, we do in our hearts to be willing to give up everything, to give up everything to follow Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what we need to give up. Jesus knows exactly what's important for us to do. Now, for this man, he had to give up his wealth because that was going to keep him from following Jesus. Now, notice that Jesus didn't ask for his wealth. Jesus asked him to give it to the poor. Jesus cared about others. It wasn't for himself. Jesus knew what this man needed. Jesus knows what we need. In another incident later on, um, actually, it's to be the next passage in Luke. The, if we went to the Luke passage in Luke 18, we'd read the same story that we're reading here in Mark 10. But in Luke 19, in the chapter afterwards, we read another story about Jesus coming up to another rich man and calling this man to follow him, only Jesus does it differently. And this rich man was a tax collector, and he had acquired all of his wealth illegally, we can assume that the rich young man probably acquired all of his wealth correctly. He was just born into the right family, right? And he got all this wealth. He didn't do anything wrong to acquire it. There was nothing wrong with the money that he had. There's nothing wrong intrinsically just in money. But what's wrong is the way that we might acquire it. And so there was another man who Jesus was going to call to follow him, and he had acquired all of his wealth illegally, okay? He was a thief. He was a tax collector. He was a robber. He was an immoral and unethical person. And in Luke chapter 19, we read about this in verse 5, where Jesus was going through a city, and it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up into a tree and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Now in this case, what was important for Zacchaeus Jesus didn't say, give up all of your wealth. But if we look at the passage, we'll see that later on, Zacchaeus says, you know what, Lord, if I've defrauded anybody, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give it back to them four times, and I'm going to give up to half of my wealth to the poor. Jesus never asked him to do that. Zacchaeus just knew in his heart that that was the right thing to do. So what was hard for Zacchaeus wasn't giving up his money. What was hard for Zacchaeus was giving up his old friends, his fellow tax collectors. What was hard for Zacchaeus was falling out of favor with other people. What was hard for Zacchaeus was admitting his sin before everybody, and yet he did it. It's almost like he even had a party 
to celebrate the fact that he was confessing his sins before Jesus. And I think maybe for all of us, that's a really hard thing and an obstacle that keeps us from following Jesus, is being honest to the places where we sin and the things that we do wrong. I'm turning away from them and admitting them before other people that I'm not going to live this way again. I'm not going to follow that crowd anymore because I know that that crowd of people, those are like tax collectors to me. They're robbing me. They're robbing me of my opportunity of walking the way God wants me to. And so God is looking into our hearts and he says, I want you not to let anything stand in the way of you knowing the riches of my love and of you knowing the riches of what I can give to you. And what's interesting is that Jesus said now back to this man in Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, that he went away sad. He went away sad. And he was no better off by going to Jesus than when he had come. In fact, we might say emotionally at least, and spiritually too, so really everything he was, worse off after he saw Jesus than before he went and saw him. Before he went and saw him, he was naive. He didn't know the answer to eternal life. But now he knew the answer, and he went away sad. And that speaks to you and to me, too, that now we know. And the only way to find happiness and to find the reality of all that God wants is to do what he says and to listen to what he offers. Now, the world offers us many things. And again, to say there's nothing wrong with money, but we must be very, very honest with ourselves living here in Orange County and living here in the United States. Money is a God. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Money is a God. And the question is, is money your God? Is money my God? Warren Wearsby says this, money is a marvelous servant but a terrible master. If you possess money, be grateful and use it for God's glory. But if money possesses you, beware. It is good to have things that money can buy, provided you don't lose the things money cannot buy. Whatever you need most of all right now, in all likelihood, cannot be bought by money. And the things that you're suffering the most in in life right now may actually be because of money. God wants us not to be controlled by money, but by his spirit. He wants us like this rich young man not to know the truth and then go away sad and live a sad life. This word sad means cloudy. He went away with a cloud over his head. He went away gloomy. He came into the sunlight, but he left in a storm because he didn't want to do what Jesus said. And yet he knew what Jesus said was right. Money controlled him. Wealth robbed him. He was rich, but he was so poor. Jim Elliot a missionary who gave his life for the Lord, who was martyred for the Lord, said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The younger you are, the more opportunity you have to experience this, to practice it, to begin now to give to God the things that you have of your life, to use whatever resources you have to serve him. If you have money, use it to help other people. If you have time, use it to give to other people. If you have talent, share them for the blessings of other people. You know, there's that commercial um, with the, the, one of the cell phone companies that says, you know, the next, best, the next best thing is here. The next best thing is here. It's like God's always saying, you know, the world's always saying, there's always something better, there's always something next that you can get. But God is saying, no. Jesus. Jesus has already given us the greatest thing of all. And if there's something missing from his heart, nothing missing from our hearts, it can be filled by Jesus. It can be filled by God. It may seem impossible. It may seem like it just can't happen. But it can and it will with God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God looks into our hearts and he can fill them. The third question is when you look at your actions, what attitudes are revealed? When you look at your actions, what attitudes are revealed? So let me ask you these three questions, and these are yes and no answers, and you can just put the answers down on your own. But when your family, can your family, when your family, sorry, your family can see your love for Jesus is greater than your love for them. Your family can see your love for Jesus is greater than your love for them. Is that true? Or false? Yes or no? The next one. You accept blessings and persecutions equally. You accept blessings and persecutions equally. Or that another way of like, you accept blessings and problems equally. And the third one. You joyfully let all others be first and choose to go last. You joyfully let others be first and choose to go last. Well, the answers to these questions are also found in Jesus' response to the disciples and to Peter. In verse 28, the Bible says, Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus wants us to be honest with each other, but he wants that honesty to be seen by other people. Have any, how many of you have ever seen a lie detector? Have you ever seen a lie detector? Okay, so if you look at a lie detector, they put some things on your hands, but they also put some things around your chest, all right? And then they hook you up to this machine and then it has something, you know, a little needle on there that tells the guy reading it. Um, he, it measures different things of the way that we respond. And it finds out if we're telling the truth, yes or no. I want you to imagine that you have to wear a lie detector on you, you know. And it's not wrapped around your chest, but it's wrapped inside your heart. 
And, and in that, okay, in that lie detector, there is a freedom that can be found. A freedom to be able to live the truth. A freedom to be able to speak the truth and to love other people so that it never shows that you are inconsistent with how you say, with what you say, and with what you do. And that your attitudes can be made right before God and right before other people. And Peter said, you know what? This rich young ruler, we see that he wasn't willing to follow you, Jesus. But what do we get? What do we get? And Peter's just being honest with Jesus. He's opening up his heart to him. And Jesus is being honest with Peter, and he tells him the truth. And he says, Peter, this is what you get. You get more moms. Okay, I hope that's good news for you. Okay, you get more brothers. You get more sisters. Okay, but he doesn't say you get more fathers. Now, he says that if you leave your fathers, you'll get all these things. But the reason that he doesn't say that you'll get more fathers is that he wants us to know there's only one father. And that is our Heavenly Father. And He is the one who unites us. And that is why we are having a bigger family now. With more brothers and more sisters and more mothers and more children. And all of us are living together. This is the place where we are honest with each other. Where we live out our attitudes. Where we live out our actions. And so when we leave, our family sees that we love Jesus more than He they love, we love them. And this is a great challenge for us. See, if my wife knew that I love Jesus more than her, she'd feel more love than ever before because I'd be doing what Jesus wants me to do. I would love her. If I love Jesus more than I love my children, my children will be more loved than ever before because I will love them as God commands me to love them. If I love Jesus more than I love you, you will be more loved by me than ever before and vice versa because we'll be doing what Jesus wants us to do. And this is the opening up of our hearts. This is the filling of our hearts. This is the meaning that God gives to us that we can have a life that is abundantly rewarded even now. And God promises us that we're going to have all these things, a greater family, a greater unity, a greater love, a greater community. But he also says we're going to also have greater courage because we're also going to face persecutions together. We're going to face problems together. We're going to face trials together. And when God looks at our attitudes and he looks at our actions, we are going to be sharing these together together. And we're going to be able to make it together. But we are going to have persecutions. And we are going to have problems. And we are going to have difficulties. But God wants us to know that we can live honestly and we can live truthfully. And he summarizes it all in these last words of verse 31. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. And therein is that last question. You joyfully let others be first and choose to go last. There's nothing more practical than that in our attitudes and in our actions. By choosing to put other people ahead of ourselves, by letting other people know that we care about them, that we will be unselfish and that we would love them so much that we would rather let them have what they need than us fulfill what we want. 
And so these are the challenges that God gives to us. To love him more than we love anyone else. To accept blessings as well as problems and persecutions. And to joyfully give to others before we give to ourselves. And when we look at that, we will be the people that God wants us to be. And we'll be honest with ourselves and with each other. And Jesus will honestly be able to look at us. And we'll be honestly able to look at him and know the love that he has in truth and in peace and in hope. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and, and for your kindness to us. Thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, help us to be honest with you. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be giving. Help us to be faithful. Help us to know the joy that only comes by seeking after your kingdom. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to love one another. In Jesus' name we ask. We want to continue worshiping the Lord together, and um, if you had a time, op <coughs> opportunity to fill out the welcome card, you can drop it in the uh, bag as it comes by, and we're going to close with, uh, I guess, kind of the litmus test of our faith, this song, um, and if you can't honestly sing these words, then don't, but um, give them good thought and prayer. <laughs>